0: to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations.
1: Each woman has a unique history that's made up of many small stories. Sharing your chronicles with others is a way of sharing your heart and your soul. It's also the way in which you've been growing into the archetype of the creatrix. Your narratives are what connect you to other women and to your shared humanity. Every woman I've ever known has a tale to tell that is brave and beautiful, sad and sweet. Knowing your stories and those of women around you can change the way you see the world, and even change the world as you become the creatrix. Valeria Telly's interview, Stephanie Raffalock, the author of Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. Stephanie Raffalock is the author of Creatrix Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. She also penned the award-winning book, A Delightful Little Book on Aging. A graduate of Naropa University's program in writing and poetics, Stephanie was a contributor to the Rogue Valley Messenger in Oregon. She has blogged for Nexus Magazine, Omaha Lifestyles, care2.com, as well as 60andme.com. A former iHeartRadio host, she is now a popular guest on podcasts, where she inspires women to embrace the strength and passion of their personal story. Stephanie continues to build her speaker's resume by giving presentations for groups like the Ashland Literary Arts Festival, Breaking the Glass, Wins at Charles Schwab, and Southern Oregon University, Friends of the Hannon Library. Her commitment to uplift women extends to teaching personal development classes for incarcerated women and nonprofits, including Dress for Success Austin. A recent transplant to Austin, Texas, Stephanie enjoys an active life with her husband, Dean, and their Labrador retriever, Mickey Mantle Raffalock. Meet Stephanie at byline-stephanie.com. Here's the interview with Stephanie Raffalock.
0: In your own words, who is Stephanie Raffalock? Wow, who is Stephanie Raffalock?
2: I would say Stephanie Raffalock is a mixture of love and light, sorrow and regret, joyfulness and celebration. I'm all of it. It's I, I my heart feels textured from the life I've lived, and and I'm blessed to be at an age where Certain emotions or emotional states, I just don't judge anymore. It's like it all contributes. You know, there's always wisdom lurking in the grit of life. So
0: I'm all those things. So you wrote the book, your latest book, Creatress Rising, Unlocking the Power of Midlife Women. Talk to me for a moment about the inspiration and the intention of writing this book, Stephanie.
2: In the last several years... I've seen this shift, like a collective consciousness shift in the women around me. And I mean, it's widespread. So there were three events that really inspired me to do this book. The first was the Women's March of 2017. It was such a unifying moment for women to get together and this time we weren't marching alone like we did in my generation. This time we were marching with husbands and sons, grandfathers and grandmothers, and there, you know, everyone was represented. But that march changed a lot of things. It I think it made us realize that we've got power. The second thing that happened was that the election in 2018, which would be the midterms. More women over the age of 50 ran for local, state, and national office than ever before in this country's history. And the third thing that happened was hashtag me too, which was a real important piece because women, especially of my generation, often carried around that dirty little secret. And sometimes you'd share it with a a girlfriend in the ladies room, but more often than not, you would get a response of, I know it's terrible, but... Boys will be boys. There was something about hashtag me too. And just that simple little symbol. It's like you didn't have to tell the whole story. But the hashtag me too that says, yeah, I've been there. I know that one. And I felt like it liberated us. It unburdened us from this secret. So those three things in a very short amount of time is what led to Creatrix Rising. And I was looking for a word that describes older women, that was different than the word crone. And I know that a lot of feminist groups have tried to reclaim that word and dress it up a little bit. But the truth is crone, if you trace the etymology of the word, it was meant as an insult. Entered the lexicon in the 1300s, and it means disagreeable old woman. So the leap from motherhood to then crone, it's like your purpose in life is just to have kids and that's it, period. Then you're a crone. I wasn't liking that. I was thinking there's something else that's going on here. So what is it? So as I started writing this book, my editor and I began talking about names and the names that we came up with, like for older women, Sage and Wizard, those are distinctly male names. So she finally suggested Creatrix. I thought she'd made the word up. She hadn't. Creatrix comes from Three Greek fates. There was the spinner, the weaver, and the cutter. And the weaver is the creatrix. And creatrix literally means a woman who makes things. And I thought, that's it. That's who we are in this particular time in history. We are women who make things, whether it's leadership or it's gardens or it's families or it's art. We are women who make things. We are creatrices.
0: Do you see... This reality shifting to the feminine reality, to a more open, uh, loving and peaceful reality. Do you see this happening anytime soon? You know, it has happened in our
2: past. If, if you look at pre-classical times, the, the worship was more toward the Mother Earth, the divine feminine. And I know that a lot of women today carry that sense of them of that, you know, being in nature is like being in a temple and being in nature. It's like you can find the answer to all your questions. But there was a time in pre-classical times when we celebrated the cycle of the seasons. And so... You've got Greek stories like um, Persephone making the descent and then the ascent in in the spring. And all of our stories and mythologies and everything were based upon the seasons and were based upon nature. Um, fast forward a bit and with the um, widespread influence of the monotheistic traditions, Christianity, Judaism and Muslim things shifted because in nature, there's not really a hierarchy. There's a sense of belonging in religion. Very often there is a hierarchy, you know, somebody's in charge, the guy's in charge. So will we go back to that? I hope so. I see in women around me, this, a greater love for nature now than I did, let's say even 30 years ago. It's what when I talk to women, they say that's what brings them the most comfort in life. That's where they go when they're distressed and they need comfort. They go into nature.
0: You mentioned power, the word power before. Talk to me for a moment about your definition of true power. Well, I think there's power in unification.
2: And I I think that, you know, you ask a really good question because I want to distinguish between the power over something or the power Um, above someone as opposed to the kind of personal power that we have that leads to strength, that leads to confidence, that leads to courage. That's what I mean when I say power. I'm talking about a personal kind of power that makes us unafraid so that we're able to stand in the light of our truth and speak our truth without feeling shaky about it or like, oh my gosh, what is that person going to think if I really speak up in this way? that's the power that we want is that it's like it's a it's an opening of the of the chest of the heart of the mind it's it's like when you really pull yourself up straight instead of hunching over you know it's an expansion not a contraction
0: another question i have for you the initial questions is about this sense or this understanding of the embodiment of being a woman can you describe that what is to be a woman? I know it's not limited to, to gender, to the body, uh, being a female body, from my perspective. But talk to me about that description of what it's like to be a woman.
2: To embody a, a woman for me, and I think the definition is, is something that's going to change from person to person, from consciousness to consciousness. But for me, it's about being in that kind of power. You know, like I'm always working. I'm doing the work on myself to find where the true confidence is, where the authenticity is. It's like, how afraid are you to share your most vulnerable self um, with your intimates in the world? You certainly don't have to share it with everyone. That might be inappropriate. with your intimates in the world. Are you afraid to share your true self? So I think that really fully being a woman, fully embodying a woman is this quality of confidence, this quality of strength and power, and certainly a quality of nourishment. Now, in the motherhood years, we talk about nurturing, but what is it that nurturing really does? It nourishes the heart and the soul. And so to be a woman is to be a nourisher of heart and soul
0: in your community. Bringing everything together that seems to be separate, (laughs) creating this union, uniting. That's, it always comes back to me, the visualization. Great power in uniting for women. You know, you just
2: don't feel as alone as you That's what was so significant about the Women's March. You know, collectively, women all over this country had this, well, all over the world really, had this feeling of, oh my gosh, maybe I'm not as alone as I thought was look at all these other women marching with me.
0: I think now it's time to talk about the uh, what I mentioned off-record too, briefly. You made me smile and laugh and everything. Uh, when I read in the book, the story you share about the, the coronavirus, 2020, and that, <laughs> talk to me about that. Actually, I'd love to hear the story if we have enough time. I think we do, Stephanie. So the audience knows. Maybe not the whole story, but talk to me about the I'll creation. The yeah. Well, you know, first of all, writing
2: a book during a pandemic, and we've, I've never been through a pandemic. I don't know that who has been through a pandemic. So I thought it bears mentioning that this book was um, written in and influenced by the time of coronavirus. And I thought a lot about, well, what is this virus? And the question that came up for me is, viruses, I know, are a living organism. They're a living thing. So if they're a living thing, then does the virus have an intention? Does the virus have a consciousness? And then I imagined in my mind what that would be. And so this is an exercise in creative imagination. If Corona were a woman, how would she conduct herself in the world? You know? And, of course, one of the ways that she conducts herself in the world is she shines a light. But it's not the light of love. It's not the light of beauty. It's an interrogating light. And it's a light that shows all the places in our culture where things are broken. And so the story of coronavirus, it's actually the epilogue of the book, reflects that personification, what I imagined her to be. Now, I have to tell you kind of a funny story around that. Um, The advanced readers of my book is out in the world. And I had somebody review it and she didn't get that the ending was written allegorically she thought I was speaking literally. So her review was something to the effect of, well, I really loved the book and it's very evocative. And, and yet the ending is historically inaccurate, which is a little bit like, saying, you know, when Persephone dances with Hades, that that's historically inaccurate. I mean, it's not allegory is, it's an exercise in creative imagination, but I had to laugh and I had to think. I wonder if she's just out of college. I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that that could have been the case. Or oh, maybe not. <laughs> I have another question for you, the a warm-up question, Stephanie, about freedom. How do you define freedom these days? Freedom.
2: Wow. Well, you know, I always think of the old um, Chris Christopherson song. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. <laughs> Bobby McGee. I think of freedom as more of an interior freedom than an outer freedom. I think that you know we all have a kind of freedom that just can't be taken away from us. And it's the freedom that allows us to get to that contemplative state in whichever way we deem fit for us, whether that's through ceremony or or meditation or a church or whatever. That freedom is everything that It relates to the interior life and that freedom, I really believe, has a component of creativity in it. It's the ability to create freely, for lack of a better word, since that's what we're talking about. But the idea that there's all this great juicy stuff, this kind of spiritual DNA in us that finds expression In the outside world. And that's what freedom means to me is being able to express that somehow, whether it's through art or music or dance or um, reflection, however. But I, I think that that the heart of freedom seeks that kind of expression.
0: And in your book you say women are seeing their creative potential and embracing this creativity in their midlife years in part because age is seen as an asset. And I love the way you say to you in your book you say that the term midlife women has been associated to midlife crisis. And you came up with a fun, enlightened term. You say midlife awakening. In your book, it has um, six sections, the prologue, which you talk about the traditional female archetypes and who established them and the new archetype, the creatrix. So talk to me for a moment about the traditional female archetypes and who established them, which we already have an idea, but... (laughs) (laughs) Defined by a guy. Uh, (laughs) Yes.
2: I mean, there have been lots of female archetypes throughout mythology but the most recent ones that kind of show up in our culture were the trilogy of maiden mother crone. And that came from the poet and novelist, Robert Graves who wrote a book in the, um, gosh, I'm thinking it was the early 1940s called the white goddess. And the white goddess was an homage to his muse and he saw woman as his muse. And so it was the muse of the maiden, the mother and the crone. Well, Really, with the exception of mother, two of those words are terribly outdated. I don't know of any young woman who thinks of herself as a maiden or probably uses the term like in my generation, we would talk about your married name and your maiden name. And that's not an issue now. So that's a word that needs redefining, too, but probably by somebody that's closer to that age and phase of life than I am at this point. And then the word crone, of course, needs redefining. Um, And that is where I think creatrix takes place of that. So that's where that maiden mother crone came from. It was adopted by neo-paganism and sort of became a thing. Maiden mother crone, you know, represented the goddess trilogy, the waning moon, the full moon and the waxing moon. And so, you know, it, it was dressed up a lot. You know, women have been looking for what defines them. But I like the word creatrix so much more, and I'm hoping that as time goes on, someone will tackle that word maiden because there's a lot to unpack there that is the, at the effect of, you know, thousands and thousands of years of archetypal conditioning. That's where it came from,
0: uh, Rob, the poet and novelist Robert Graves. I love that, Stephanie, this new concept, which is very timely now, the creatrix And I have never had children and I don't think I will ever have. So, and I do interview mothers and I have them around me, of course, my own mother. And I often ask the question about if we miss anything, if I am missing anything as a woman who have chosen not to have children. So I would ask the question to you. Well, I don't think so. And I never had children either.
2: So I don't have a, you know, a concrete answer. My road it was just a different path that was set out before me. And I didn't buy the myth that you can have it all. You can have the marriage and the kids and the career. And, you know, to me that always just sounded like burnout.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. Oh, so, <laughs> Yeah, very much. <laughs> I don't
2: think it's good. that we miss anything. <laughs> I think that we just get a different experience of life, you yeah, know, it's yeah. well, did you miss anything by not being a doctor Mm. Well, probably not, but you did get a different experience of life than if you had gone down the path of becoming a doctor. And so you and I got a different experience of life without children. I think that not having children probably has made me a bit more reflective and contemplative in my later years than if I'd had children and I was, you know, had adorable little grandchildren to dote on. You know, it's like my work continues to be reflective in nature. And um, children and grandchildren aren't as conducive to that. I hope I don't get flack for that because I don't mean it as an insult to anyone. I'm just trying to like, you know, set that there are differences and good, bad or indifferent. And I think it just comes down to choice.
0: Yeah. And it's giving birth to anything that can unite us like children do. You have given birth to so many creative works, and I have too, and so many women that I know that have never had children. They are still doing this beautiful work of connecting us, connecting communities, people. So it's the same thing to me. I don't see any difference, but I do ask the question because I get different answers. I guess one of the answers I get is uh, unconditional love, that having children, it's a very good way of practicing that kind of love.
2: I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's really true. I think that, you know, marriage can be a spiritual path, too. But I think that just really anything in life that you put your focus on that you want to do well can bring you a sense of unconditional love. It's just love comes from different places. Sometimes it comes from beautiful you know, children. And, and sometimes it has to grow out of your own heart to make it through this world. Some of us are more solitary than others.
0: You also, You In the book, you mentioned a beautiful phrase. You say that we are women are exploring a deeper kind of beauty or deeper beauty. Talk to me about that kind of what is beauty to you, Stephanie? And what does it look like? How would you describe that type of deeper beauty?
2: Beauty is of the heart and the soul. And one of the things that has affected women so much of my generation and your generation and, you know, the generations out there now is this idea of advertising to us 24-7 that if we only used this toothpaste and made our teeth whiter, life would be better. We only could lose those four inches around our thighs. Yeah. Oh, my God. The world. <laughs> Yes. All of that. (laughs) And so as we get older, I don't know a woman, including myself, (laughs) has walked past a mirror at my age, just kind of tugged at her neck and going, I wonder if I could just get (laughs) a... there and not do anything else well it turns out you can't you can't lift without the facelift i don't want you on that road although i support any woman who decided to do that but i still think even if you do get the work done the facelift and and whatnot you still have to come to a place within you where you look at 50 at 60 at 70 and 80 and go oh my god my life, myself is so beautiful. Thank you. And that's the beauty that grows of heart and soul. And so when I saw these women over the age of 50 running for office, you know, these middle-aged women, there was a sense of that confidence, a sense of knowing their beauty and their value that had nothing to do with the toothpaste or the weight loss or the false lashes or anything else. And like I said, I don't put those things down because once again, it's a matter of choice. But I do believe if women are going to choose, it's like, know what all the choices are. You have more than one choice. The only choice isn't a neck or a facelift. There are other choices
0: too. And I love the way you say that, that the beauty of heart and soul that's the beauty that you speak of, deeper beauty. That sounds very spiritual to me, Stephanie. Is that an integration of your spiritual understanding of life and being creative? Maybe it's being creative. I, the yeah. older
2: I get, the the more I wonder <laughs> how much of an understanding I really have. Of
0: this Sorry. Uh, about I, it.
2: I think it's, uh-huh. yes, it's an integration to the degree that when I stand outside, And I was doing this just before our um, our session today. I I was standing outside in the wind and I just closed my eyes and raised my arms. And I don't think about in that moment what my body looks like. I think about the wind and the power of the wind and the way it feels sensuously on my body, but not the body itself. And so Mm -hmm. I think that these are difficult times to get in touch with that deeper beauty because of how much advertising we're subjected to. I mean, even if you don't watch television, chances are you're on some kind of social media outlet and the, you know, the advertisements that go by for, you know, lose weight, do this, do that. It's kind of amazing.
0: Wow. That's a very good point um, about not only TV, like in my case, I don't watch TV, also, social media, I do this work of sharing these messages so I'm not there doing anything else. But I'm still influenced by the women around me who still hold these false ideas and beliefs. They value, really, this idea of looking good and beautiful on the outside all the time. So I'm still influenced by them.
2: Well, I think we're influenced by it from all corners. Right, but, you know, it's right. so interesting when I think about my grandmother who was 93, I think, when she died. I never looked at her in her old age and thought she was unattractive. I never did. I was fascinated by her long white hair that she braided over one side of Face let it fall down when when she slept at night and and my own mother as she was aging I remember looking at her once and I could see the lines and I could see how she changed and she wasn't the mother of my ten year old self but her eyes her eyes sparkled in a way that they always had and maybe even a little bit more so that's the deeper. Beauty, and I think we have to, you know, the way we talk to ourselves. Sometimes we would never dream of talking to someone else in that, but we are sometimes so hard on ourselves about our looks, and yet we would never talk to a girlfriend like that, or let alone our mother or grandmother. True.
0: So we talked about the um, prologue, which the archetypes is, you talk about. And then part one of your book, this is the heroine's journey. The story is about the women in your family, the great, great grandmother, your grandmother, your mother. Beautifully told. I have to go back to the book and read them again. I was laughing too about your mother. I think she talked about never, something about never, she never, never cook, a, a cook a fish. fish. Never <laughs> never I was laughing. I know. I was laughing at that. (laughs) That is the cutest thing. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we can learn so much. It sounds almost like not naive, but innocent in a way how women took themselves so seriously by comparing or listening to the outside. We just let ourselves to be what society and other people wanted us to be.
2: Well, we all tried too hard, I think, to fit in Yeah. and yes. instead of belong. See, that woman's march was a real sense of belonging. Yeah. It wasn't a matter of fitting in. I'm sure there were all kinds of different ideas and different types of people there, but it's it's the belonging that yeah. we crave. So to belong to the sisterhood, to belong to womanhood, that's a great belonging, but
0: just trying to fit in, that's something else. Talk to me for a moment. Part two, you talk about the obstacles, your own obstacles and challenges, and you mentioned menopause. So talk to me about how did you learn to navigate or to dance really with menopause in a graceful way? I I have
2: to tell you about menopause. (laughs) It was really my husband who said to me as I was whining one night about the hot fashion. And he said, you know, he said, these are really creative times. You know, menopause is a really creative time. Go sleep outside, you know. (laughs) But it it was true. When I had time to think about it, I thought, how is it that we hold menopause as just a set of symptoms? As opposed to the initiation, it really is. A woman's life is really bookend, bookended by the beginning of blood and the ending of blood. And there's something very powerful and sacred about that. So I began the process of reframing what I thought of menopause, just like reframing midlife crises. If you go onto Google and you type midlife women, what you will get are pages and pages and pages of midlife crises and what medications are available for you. And so that's the first thing to reframe is that it's midlife awakening. And then the second thing is I hold menopause as an initiation. Yeah, It's an initiation that takes us from the motherhood years into that third chapter into what's next. Right. And, um, the, what, What's next, that's the brave new frontier.
0: Right. It, it, that's the seasons of life, of nature. There's no difference. But it's when it comes to women, it's not accepted. Like my own husband, he still criticizes me for that in a negative way for sure. Non-accepting way that I'm changing the body's changing, and I'm not as friendly or I'm not as warm as before. So before that, before the menstruation or that period. So that's interesting how this is still happening, like in my own house. (laughs) I can't believe it. And and men are (laughs)
2: influenced by all that advertising too. And they're influenced too by a society that talks about menopause in um, negative terms, like it's just a bad set of symptoms and you really should take a pill for that. And I don't know that it's pills that we need to take. I'm not certainly not against bioidentical hormones or things that will help you through the physicality of that passage. But, you know, it's so much more than that. It really is an initiation. And and unfortunately, we don't have in this culture the kinds of ceremonies and rituals that would mark something like that. I know that in this day and age, a lot more mothers are um, celebrating their daughter's first period. And that's certainly a beginning. Yeah, but then yeah. we have to get to a point where we go, okay, so how do I then celebrate menopause? Yeah. And I know a lot of women listening to this <laughs> are going, are you kidding? <laughs> I am not going to celebrate menopause. <laughs> there, there is something to be celebrated. And it's that it is a great, juicy, creative time in one's life. And you don't have to look too far to see women who have gone through menopause who have done amazing things after that fact whether it be the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Meryl Streep or Judy Dench, you know, whoever you look at. I always like to say, start in your own neighborhood. There is some cool older woman in your neighborhood who's been through this process. Yeah. And watch the way she does life.
0: I think there is something in my area, Vera Beach, Florida, we have belly dancing for older women. Oh, it's beautiful. That's great. I love that. Yes, yeah, and the vibration of that room is just completely changed. It's there's so much grace there, uh, wisdom and grace.
2: Well, and older women belly dancing, I mean, that's a cool thing. I have to tell you, a lot of the stuff, the issues that we have about older women are unique to this country. You know, there are countries in Europe where women dance the tango. Yes, 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 of course. And the tango is a very sexy dance. Yes. And belly dancing is a sexy dance. Right. It's not that that dies in us, although some women will say they could take or leave sex after menopause (laughs) but it morphs it morphs and it changes because we are such creative Mm -hmm. women we are such creative beings
0: yeah things change that can be explored in any age right so it's a matter of change in the way we think it's shifting perspective right stephanie being open of course curious, and open So we almost at the end, let me see. Um, I love the reflections you have. At the end of each chapter, you have the uh, full reflection activity in journaling. Then you have some beautiful, inspiring questions. And then also at the end, there's something else you have that caught my attention in your book. Is the heroine's journey a possible outline? I would love for you to talk to me for a moment about that. I love that, though.
2: I really think that women find a great sense of um, empowerment and liberation in learning their own story. Yeah. And yeah. I, it sounds funny. It's like, well, of course, everybody knows their own story. I <laughs> yeah. have sat down to really reflect upon that, that you start in a certain place, in a certain way, and there is an arc to your life just as there is an arc to story. And classically and traditionally, that's called the hero's journey or the heroine's journey. And so if you can sketch that out in your own life, whether it's on the page or it's just, you know, in the oral tradition of telling your own story. It's cool to learn stuff about yourself. It's, you know, to learn self-knowledge reveals all things. And it's one of the ways as women that we begin to develop self-knowledge is through learning just how important and how powerful and how beautiful our stories are. And keeping in mind that, you know, men have been telling their stories for thousands of years. This is a relatively new phenomenon for women to be able to tell their stories. And I like to encourage women. It's like, if you've got some close, intimate girlfriends that you can sit around with and tell your stories and figure out the arc of your life and your stories, it can only benefit. And to be able to listen and bear witness to another woman's story without judgment, without trying to fix anything. Yeah. Just to bear witness to that story, yeah. that's a powerful thing.
0: Yes, I just thought about my mother-in-law, that she wants to do that. She's 86 now. Thank you so much uh, for everything that you represent. It's very light, playful, graceful energy of being a woman. It's really beautiful. Every time I think of you, I have a smile on my face This is the first interview. <laughs> it's really fun <laughs> in a very uh, wise way.
2: I love being back um, with you. You know, we had a great time talking the first time and I just love being back with you. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you, Stephanie. I guess I have one question for you. What are three things about life you wish everyone to know or to have before they lose the body?
2: Immerse yourself in the miracles of life. Look up into the stars at night and know that you are made of the same stuff as those stars. That would be the first thing. The second would be none of us is ever as alone as we think we are. There are people around you. There is spirit around you. It's in spite of all its craziness and harshness, it is still a beautiful world. And the third thing is don't forget that what nourishes your heart is most likely play and find a way to play. Whether that's in your kitchen or your garden or with art, but
0: don't forget to play. That brings us to creativity that opens that door. So before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects?
2: You can reach out to me at byline-stephanie.com. That's Mm -hmm. my website. It has my blog. It has my books. It has a way to contact Mm -hmm. me. I answer all emails um, that you can get to from that site. And you can look me up by line Stephanie on Facebook or on uh, Instagram. I'm not sure how I'm listed on LinkedIn these days. I only check in okay. about every five or six days.
0: <laughs> That's how you can get to me. Wonderful. I'll have the website and also some of the social media tags you just mentioned on your podcast profile thank you so much again stephanie we'll talk soon thank you bye for now
1: thank you for listening to learn more about stephanie rafalock and her work please visit byline-stephanie.com
0: to learn more about this podcast please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast thank you again for listening and bye for now